Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. good, isn't he? Amen. Hey, uh, we uh, just were having a little bit of technical difficulties during the worship, and uh, so if for some reason the broadcast stops, we'll restart it again, and uh, uh, hopefully we won't have that issue, but uh, man, I tell you, it's, uh, there's always something. I think you get it right, and then there's something that else happens, but you know what? That keeps me humble, keeps us all uh, just trusting the Lord, and uh, so, uh, you know, we're just praying that uh, God's word gets out. So glad you're here this morning. Hey, we are looking at the last chapter of Leviticus. We're finishing up our study through the book of Leviticus. And I'm glad that you guys are here with us this morning to, uh, to, to join us for that. 
Um, Leviticus chapter 27, you know, I was thinking, do you, and I don't normally do this, I don't normally put a title on a message, but uh, the, 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 the title that kind of came through as I was studying this is, you know, fulfill your vow. Fulfill your vow. Um, Leviticus ends with how vows to God are to be handled. And uh, what kind of vows are we talking about? You know, people make all kinds of vows. There's wedding vows, there's, you know, uh, promises of different sorts uh, that people make. The vows that are being discussed here in chapter 27 are vows that people make to God. Um, it's promising God in the future, or promising God something in the future um, that uh, will be used for his service. And uh, in, uh, evidently in the time when Leviticus was written uh, and shortly after that time, uh, vows apparently were commonplace. We read of them, some examples of them in the Old Testament. And you might say, well, that's kind of, you know, people don't make vows like these uh, to, to God anymore, do they? Well, you know what? You know, even unbelievers, I mean, we believers do, but even unbelievers make vows to God sometimes. Have you ever heard, or maybe you've even said this before, God, if you get me out of this situation, God, if you help me with this, God, if you do this, or whatever it is, you can fill in the blank, then I will do that. And then, you, of course, you could fill in the blank there. So, uh, you know, we might make a vow to God out of distress. Lord, I'm dealing with a difficult thing. Lord, help me. Lord, if you help me, I will do, and you can fill in the blank. Or we might make one out of gratitude. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done. And, and because of that, Lord, I want to do this for you. That's an oath that we make to God. Or maybe out of a sense of calling. Lord, I just, I want to dedicate this, and again, fill in the blank, or I want to de dedicate even myself to you. So, you know, when we're reading this, it may seem like a foreign concept when you read it, but if you think about it, hey, we make vows to God too, don't we? I know I have in the past. So the thing that chapter 27 is dealing with mainly, God is emphasizing to the children of Israel, and of course ultimately to us as well, that God takes the vows that we make to him seriously. He takes it seriously. I want to read out of Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 and 23 to you. It says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which has gone from your lips you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. You see, the vows that we're talking about here are vows that are voluntary commitments to God. God didn't force you to, 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 do, to dedicate something or to make that vow. God didn't do it. You're doing it of your own volition, your own choice. And if you make, so what God is saying here is, to the children of Israel is if you make a vow to me and you break it, it is sin. Again, God takes seriously the vows that we say. We may make a vow in a, in a rash moment. Um, or, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we make a vow and it's like, well, you know, I didn't understand. I didn't have all the, the, the truth. I didn't have all the knowledge, all the, all the uh, you know, I didn't have all the, the details. And so now it's like, what do I do? Or um, maybe, you know, we, uh, you know, there's some whatever reason. You know, I, I didn't realize it was going to cost this much or whatever. You know, I didn't know it was going to be that much of a sacrifice. So, you know, people break vows. 
they did in those days, they do today. And, and uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, says this, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 through 6. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed, better not to vow, uh, than to vow and not pay. So he kind of just nails it right there, doesn't he? Someone said this once, what we say in times of desperation are often forgotten in times of calm. And I know it's, that's true in my life. It's probably true in your life as well. So we're going to get into Leviticus chapter 27. So if you have your Bibles, break them open. Uh, Leviticus is uh, it's right before Numbers, and it's right after Exodus, last time I checked. But uh, anyways, Leviticus chapter 27, and I'm beginning with verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the Lord, according to your valuation, if your valuation is of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If it is a female, then your value shall be 30 shekels. And if from five years old up to 20 years old, then your valuation for a male shall be 20 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. And if from a month old up to five years old, then your valuation for a male shall be five shekels of silver, and for a female, your valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if from 60 years old and above, if it is a male, then your valuation shall be 15 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. But if he is too poor to pay your valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed. The priest shall value him. So here we have people uh, making a dedication to the Lord. Uh, you know, when someone makes a vow, uh, they're dedicating someone to the Lord. Obviously, it would have to be somebody that you have authority over, right? I mean, uh, I can't say, you know, I'm going to dedicate my neighbor to the Lord uh, because my neighbor may not want to be dedicated to the Lord. So it's somebody that you have authority over. For example, a, a master and servant situation. A master could dedicate his servant to the Lord. Or a parent could dedicate their children to their Lord, a son or a daughter, or, or even conceivably themselves, right? Um, there are some examples of parents making vows to the Lord, dedicating their children to the Lord. One very famous one that you might have heard of before, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and it's the story of Hannah. Hannah was a barren, and she goes to the temple and during a feast, and she just starts crying out to the Lord and praying to the Lord, and she makes a vow to the Lord. And I'm going to read it to you. It's in 1 Samuel 1, verse 11. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So there was the, if you do this, Lord, then I'm going to do that. And so that was a vow that Hannah made to the Lord. And the Lord, uh, the Lord blessed her with a male child by the name of Samuel. And Hannah fulfilled her vow. She brought him, as soon as he was weaned and old enough, she brought him to the temple, little boy. And uh, she, he served in the temple from a very young age uh, all the way up through adulthood. And, you know, because she honored her vow and fulfilled it, Samuel, her son, became 
one of the greatest priests, one of the greatest prophets, in fact, the greatest judge of Israel. And so what a blessing, you know, to have fulfilled that vow. Another vow, this one's a little bit different. Uh, it's in the book of Judges, and it's by a name, guy by the name of Jephthah. And in Judges chapter 11, there's a story of Jephthah. And uh, I'm going to just read it out, of you, uh, uh, out to you, Judges 11, verses 30 to 31. It says this, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return from peace, uh, return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and, it will offer, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And if you know the story, God did give him uh, a, a victory over the Ammonites. And as he was returning, his daughter came running out of the house to greet her daddy. And his heart was broken. I, I, I don't think he was planning that, that his daughter was going to come out. In fact, I think this might have been a, a, one of those vows that was made rashly without really thinking, you know, what could be the possible consequences of it. And sure enough, his daughter came out. It was a rash vow. You know, he fulfilled it, though. And, you know, there's people that have different opinions about that passage of Scripture. Um, I don't believe that he physically offered her up as a burnt offering. I, I, I personally don't believe that. Um, I think that would have been sin if he had done that. That was an abomination. God, God judged the nations around of Israel because they sacrificed their children. So I don't think that's what, um, what Jephthah did. In that passage of scripture, it says that she mourned her virginity. And uh, it didn't say that she mourned her life. She spent a month mourning her virginity. So I think the burnt offering, basically what it is, is wholly dedicated to the Lord. So she devoted the rest of her life in service to the Lord without being married, without knowing a man. Um, and so I think that was, was the, her sacrifice that Jephthah made when he dedicated, when he made that vow to the Lord. So if you devoted a person, according to this passage of Scripture, but you couldn't fulfill your vow, now what reasons possibly? Well, maybe the person died, or maybe they were, maybe they were unwilling to be devoted. You know, uh, Jephthah's daughter was willing to, to be devoted, but, you know, maybe she, what if she didn't? Um, or maybe someone was unqualified to be devoted to the Lord. I think of like, for example, if you were to, if you were an Israelite in those days and you're from the tribe of uh, Benjamin or maybe, uh, uh, you know, one of the other tribes, Issachar or something like that, and you go, well, yeah, I'm going to dedicate my son to the Lord to the priesthood. Well, you couldn't do that because your son was unqualified to be a priest because only priests could, could come from uh, the tribe of Levi the Levitical priesthood. So in that case, um, you couldn't do that. So for whatever reason, you couldn't dedicate that person. Um, there was an exchange that could be made for the person devoted. And the exchange was this. The priest would make a valuation based on what we just read here in scriptures. And, uh, and then money was given to the Lord in exchange uh, for the person. This was one of God's ways of providing an income for the Levitical priests to provide for their families. And the valuation, as we read through this passage of Scripture, it's based on age and it's based on sex. I want to say this, it's based on the labor value of an individual, not their intrinsic value. I'm going to say that again. 
It's based on their labor value, not on their tr intrinsic value. Because if you look at this, you go, hey, wait a minute. The women, they're valued less. In every situation we read, they're valued less. The, the little, the young, very young ones are valued less than the middle age or the, you know, the guy's 30 years old. The older guy's over 60, hey, they're, they're not valued as much. So what's the deal? Does that mean that they're of less value? Well, you think about it. This is an agrarian society. And if you had some oxen and you were out there with your cart or your plow and you're out in the field, and man, it's thick mud and you get stuck. Um, what would you rather have? Would you rather have three women come out into the field to help you pull that ox and cart out of the mud, or would you rather have three strapping linebackers, some guys that are you know just beefy? Uh, it's kind of obvious, right? It's it, in that society, it was based on their labor value, not on their intrinsic value. You know, every husband, if they're honest, every husband knows that their wives are indispensable that their wives are valuable. I know that. Hey, listen, I would have never known what a pillow sham was if it wasn't for my wife. Seriously. If you came to my house and I was a bachelor, in fact, if you did come to my house when I was a bachelor, I would have not even had a clue what a dust ruffle was around my bed, you know? But hey, now I know it. Now, I, now that's, that's something that's valued. Um, I'm color-coordinated now. Color coordinated now. Now, my wife's out of town right now, so if I'm not looking too color-coordinated, it's because she didn't say, are you really, seriously? You're gonna go outside wearing that? <laughs> Why don't you change this or that, you know? Um, no, I'm serious, though. I, that, that's, I'm being facetious. You know, the live streaming that we're doing right now, the stage that we have set up, uh, the ability to do Facebook and YouTube Live, I, I was clueless about a lot of that. And if it wasn't for my wife, she's just, she just, she's valuable. She's indispensable to me. And so um, things like that, not only, and not only things just like that, but you know, you think about it in a marriage, you know, my wife brings compassion into the marriage. I'm, to be honest, I'm a little bit less compassionate than she is when, when I'm dealing with people. She's a lot more compassionate. Um, she's, uh, brings that tenderness that, you know, guys just, they, they just don't have, they're not necessarily, uh, I'm not stereotyping everybody, but guys in general are, are not that tender, but the women bring that into a marriage. Um, uh, hospitality. Now, I do, ha I, you know, I'm hospitable to a certain degree, but man, I tell you, if you know my wife, she has got the gift of hospitality, and she just knows exactly how to bless people that come to visit us and stuff. So um, there are, there's, that's valuable. So again, this, this valuation, it's not based on intrinsic value. Guys are more valuable than women, and that's, it's labor value. And that's, that's the context here, labor value. Um, no one is less important than anyone else in the eyes of the Lord. Male, female, male, you know, servant, slave, boss, you know, employee, uh, very wealthy, powerful person, very poor, uneducated person. It doesn't matter. In the eyes of the Lord, at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. We really are. So if you look here at verse 8, it says, But if he is too poor to pay your valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed, the priest shall value him. So, you know, when you read through Leviticus, there's all these laws and all these requirements, and they seem so stringent, and yet you come to a verse like this, and you know God is such a gracious God, isn't he? he I, I believe he is. You know, the valuation was based on what a person 
could afford. If you were too poor to pay the valuation, you would go to the priest and the priest would determine what you could afford. Uh, that's just a picture in the Old Testament of God's grace. Um, you know, everyone can give their life to the Lord. Everyone can use uh, their, their abilities to the Lord's, you know, we can serve the Lord. Uh, you don't have to be necessarily educated or wealthy or powerful or a certain age or a certain sex. Um, no one is too insignificant to serve the Lord. No one is too small or too old or too useless to offer themselves to the Lord. So as we move on through this chapter now, now we were talking about people and now we get to verse 9 and, and through uh, verse 13. And now it's talking about animals, devoting animals to the Lord. So I'm going to read that starting with verse 9. If it is an animal that men may, uh, excuse me, if it is an animal that men may bring as an offering to the Lord, all that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy. He shall not substitute it or exchange it, good for bad or bad for good. And if he had all exchanges as animal for animal, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. If it is an unclean animal, which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, then he shall present the animal before the priest. And the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as you the priest value it, so it shall be. But if he wants at all to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth to your valuation. So now we're talking about animals. If you devoted an animal to the Lord, it becomes the Lord. Um, again, this would be another provision, the way that the Lord would provide for the priests um, and their families. But let's say you offer your animal to the Lord, and then for some reason, circumstances change, and you change your mind. We're all familiar with that, right? Uh, you know, hey, you know, I didn't realize this was happening, and so now we change our mind. What God is telling the children of Israel, hey, if that happens, don't swap out a good animal for a bad animal or vice versa, because either one of them, they're going to be mine. Um, there's a story about a farmer. A farmer one, one day went with great joy in his heart to report to his wife and family that their best cow had given birth to twin calves, one red and one white. And he said, you know, I have suddenly have a feeling that we must dedicate one of the calves to the Lord. We'll bring them up together, and when the time comes, we'll sell one and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. The farmer's wife asked him which, uh, which he was going to dedicate to the Lord. Oh, there's no need to bother about that now, he replied. We'll treat them both in the same way, and when the time comes, we'll do as I say, and off he went. Well, in a few months later, the man entered his kitchen looking very miserable and, and unhappy. When his wife asked him what was troubling him, he answered, I have bad news to give you. The Lord's calf is dead. Now, we might think that's funny. I don't hear anybody laughing. <laughs> that's right. Most people don't laugh at my jokes anyways. Hey, it's funny. It's humorous. But in a way, you know, isn't it kind of speaks to our character, our nature? You know, if, uh, if things get kind of tight or they get kind of uncomfortable, you know, what we would normally offer to the Lord, sometimes that just kind of goes by the wayside. Um, in situations where we're forced to economize, frequently the first thing that goes is maybe our time of devotion to the Lord. Hey, I'm, I, I don't have enough time. 
or maybe even our finances. Hey, I can't afford to tithe to the Lord. Um, usually that's the first thing that goes. And so <clears throat> what God is telling the children of Israel here, if you try to exchange a devoted animal for another one, hey, they're both the Lord's. You know, he's trying to discourage them from making a vow and then changing their minds. Now, he does specify, if you offer an unclean animal, and for example, an unclean animal, maybe a donkey or a camel, something like that, one that couldn't be accepted as a sacrifice, um, then you could exchange it. The priest would make a valuation for the animal uh, plus 20%. So you would pay the valuation plus 20%, and then you could keep the animal. So there's that provision. So the next thing he deals with now is vows devoting homes and property to the Lord, verses 14 through 25. So we'll look at that next. And when a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall stand. If he who dedicated it wants to redeem his house, then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of a field of his possession, then your valuation shall be according to the seed for it. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, according to your valuation, it shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the money due according to the years that remain till the year of Jubilee, and it shall be uh, the deduction, or it shall be deducted from your valuation. And if he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall belong to him. But if he does not want to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be holy to the Lord as a devoted field. It shall be the possession of the priest. And if a man dedicates to the Lord a field which he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of your valuation up to the year of Jubilee, and he shall give your valuation on that day as a holy offering to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought to the one who owned the land as a possession. And all your valuations shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 giras to the shekel. So we have homes and property, you know, when you, what to do when you're, when you're dedicating that to the Lord. Uh, when Therese and I were first married, we, uh, we met and got married in Duluth, and I was in the military at the time. And when I got out of the military, we moved back to California where I grew up. And so we moved to the San Francisco Bay Area, San Jose to be, uh, in particular. And uh, even at that time, this was the early 80s, man, the homes were just, they were so expensive. So we ended up going down and moving down to a town which is, um, if you're familiar with Rochester and the surrounding area, it'd be like moving down to Stewartville or something. So, I don't know, 10, 15 miles away. Um, we moved to a town called Morgan Hill. And uh, we rented a, a two-bedroom, little dinky apartment. No, it was a duplex, excuse me. And uh, we had two children and then another one on the way. So we ended up with three kids. We were living in that uh, duplex. And uh, I remember going for walks. And my wife and I, Teresa and I, we would go for walks and we'd pull, you know, 
pushing the kids in the stroller and going around in town. And Morgan Hill, it's, uh, it's really changed over the years. But back then, even back then, there still was these old, really old homes. And there was this one home in particular that we used to walk by. It was an old, great big white Victorian home. It seemed like it was maybe built in the turn of the century. It wasn't like really fancy, but it was huge. And it was like, we just looked at that. And I remember many times, and Teresa probably remembers that too, we always talked about that. And we'd say, you know what? Man, if we could ever get a house like that one, or even if we could get that house, you know what we would do? Let's turn it into a home for unwed mothers, because it's got so many bedrooms and stuff. That, that was kind of a dream. I remember we would, we would talk about that. Um, now, theoretically, had we made that to the Lord, and we, had, and we didn't actually pray the Lord, sorry, Lord, please give us this house. But if we had said, Lord, please, would you let us buy this house? Which would have been a miracle because of the price of homes then. But anyways, if we said, Lord, if you would let us buy that house, uh, we're going to dedicate it and make it a home for unwed mothers. Now, if God had did that and we got that house, and then, you know, we're, we're in there and uh, maybe we had 13 kids or something like that. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, we got, uh, we're running out of room. And, you know, or for whatever reason, you know, I don't know if we want to really do this ministry thing. And so maybe we would back out of that commitment. If we had been living at this time under the old covenant, there was a way out. And the way out was that the priest would make a valuation of the home. And then you would add 20% to that valuation. And then also, uh, and then you would pay that. And then, then you could get out of that commitment of what you had vowed to the Lord. So there was that provision in there. Uh, for property, kind of a similar thing too. Um, it was the valuation uh, plus 20%. And it also took into account the years uh, either before or after Jubilee. Uh, if you re recall, in chapter 25, we talked about the year of Jubilee in detail. Um, every 50 years, it, it, the, the property would revert back to the original owner. This was God's way of keeping all, all the tribes would have the, the original property that God had gave them when they, when they came into the land of Israel, uh, into, the, into the promised land. Um, if you're not familiar with the book of, or with the concept of Jubilee, uh, we've got recorded a message in, on uh, Leviticus chapter 25. I don't know if we have video, but we do have audio on our website. You could listen to that. Um, hey, remember, <clears throat> as we're talking about all this, you mean, man, all this money, you know, there's this, you know, it's like, it's like, man, God wants money. Listen, remember, these are voluntary dedications to the Lord. God's not requiring anyone to, to donate their house to him or their property. This is where someone says, you know what, I, I want to do this. Or they, again, they make this if-then agreement. Lord, if you do this, then I'm going to do that. Um, there's a story in the New Testament dealing with property. Kind of a similar thing, a little bit different. It's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, they, the church was just growing and people were sharing everything in common. And a lot of people, they were just, uh, maybe it was more of a, a sense of thankfulness. Thank you, Lord, for thank you for saving me. Uh, Lord, I want to dedicate, I'm going to sell my property. I'm going to dedicate this money from the sale to the work of the Lord, to spread the good news. Um, so it's a little bit different because they didn't dedicate their property to the Lord, but in a way they did because they would sell the property and then they would take that money, they wouldn't keep any of it, and they would give it to the work of the Lord. They would lay it at the disciples' feet. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they felt called evidently to do that. It was voluntary. God never made them do that. They, they wanted to do it, so they sold a field just like a lot of the other disciples were doing. Um, 
But once they got the money, you know, it was a little hard to give it up. So then they said, you know what, we're going to just, we're just going to give part of it back. We're going to keep some of it. And it's just a secret between you and me. And so they, they did that. Well, the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter what was going on. And so one of the things that Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, he says, while it remained, was it not your own? And you didn't have to, you didn't have to give it. And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? You know, you could have even just sold it and kept it, but you were deceiving. And so, you know the story, Ananias and Sapphira, they both actually dropped dead before Peter. And great fear spread over the church. And so it's a little bit of a different story, but it's kind of the same concept. You go in there, you're making this commitment, but then you're kind of backing out of it. And so that's a New Testament example of that. Well, we move on here, verse 26. But the firstborn of animals, which should be the Lord's firstborn, no man shall dedicate. Whether it is an ox or a sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall redeem it according to your valuation, and it shall, and shall add one-fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your valuation. So the firstborn, what's he talking about, the firstborn animal? That goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 13, verse 12, where God says this to the children of Israel, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, then that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. So this is the concept. Uh, every firstborn animal that you have, God's saying, it's mine. It's dedicated to the Lord. So the point being, God's saying, hey, if you also say, you know, out of the generosity of my heart, I'm going to give God my, my firstborn lamb or whatever, or my firstborn calf or whatever, it's donated to the Lord. The Lord says, hey, uh, it's already mine. So you're not doing anything special, okay? It's already his. Now, if there's a firstborn of an unclean animal, again, the priest couldn't do anything with an unclean animal as far as sacrificing or anything like that. So because it would not be sacrificed, if you had, say, again, a donkey or a camel or some kind of unclean animal, you could redeem that firstborn uh, of unclean animals. And, of course, there was the valuation, what the priest put on the value of the animal, plus 20%. So then we get to verse 28. Nevertheless... No devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has, both man and beast, uh, or the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. No person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. A devoted thing... What is a devoted thing? It was something that was holy, completely, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly devoted to the Lord. In that case, it was irrevocable, that, that commitment. Uh, it was unredeemable. Uh, and, you know, think of like the burnt offering. You know, it's completely wholly dedicated to the Lord. It's kind of that sense. It's, it's even a deeper commitment than the, some of these other vows that we're reading about here. That word devoted... Um, it's translated in the Hebrew, in, in Joshua chapter 7, it actually is translated a cursed thing. And in that, in that context, it's talking about the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho 
was wholly devoted to the Lord in the sense of it was accursed and God wanted it completely destroyed. And so God told the children of Israel, he told Joshua, hey, God doesn't always say hey. Someone made a comment the other day, that, does God say hey all the time? No. I have a friend that always says dude. God doesn't say dude either, but you understand. Um, anyways, so God says hey. Hey, dude. No, I'm just kidding. Um, God says, uh, where am I at? Oh, Jericho. Hey, that is completely devoted to destruction. And you're not to take any of the spoils. You're not to pillage it at all. All, everything in that city is completely given over to me. Well, there was a guy by the name of Achan, and he was walking along after, after God had given them the victory and destroyed Jericho, and he saw some stuff, and he went and he hid it in his tent. Now, you can read all about that in, in the book of uh, uh, Exodus. Anyways, that was devoted to destruction, and so it was irredeemable. It was something that you couldn't go back on, and, and so here Achan had actually taken something that belonged to the Lord. And so you look at the serious consequences. The Lord destroyed Achan and his family because of it, um, because this is serious business. So these are much more uh, serious than the vows that we've been discussing. And, you know, I think when I think back to like Jephthah's vow, I think because he said, I'm going to offer it as whatever comes out, whatever greets me, it's, it's going to be offered as a burnt offering. I think that's kind of what he's saying. It's come wholly devoted to you, Lord. And, and I think that's why he didn't take it back. That's why he didn't say, oh, Lord, I didn't mean it. Is there a, can I pay some money to you know, pay for my daughter? He, he completely followed through with that commitment. I think because of the seriousness. I think this is what uh, Jephthah's vow was in that case. Can you imagine how tough that would have been? I, 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 we read that story and I go, man, I just don't know how I could do that. You know the cool thing about it is Jephthah fulfilled. He followed through. And it was a painful commitment. It was, I'll give you, it probably was a commitment he should have never made because he had no idea who was going to meet him at that door. And of course, the love of his life, his daughter, the greatest, the greatest joy to his life, she comes and greets him. And he follows through with it. Again, I, I don't believe it was human sacrifice, but I think she was wholly devoted never to have children. That's a big deal in, in, the, in that culture to not be married and not have children. So it was a big sacrifice. But you know what's kind of cool about that? Jephthah is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the chapter, we call it the Hebrews Hall of Faith, but what, basically what it is, it, God is, is, is giving, or the writer of Hebrews is giving a kind of a history of all the great men and women of faith in the Bible. And Jephthah is one of the men mentioned in that. And the only thing I can think of is because he followed through with his commitment. You know, faithfulness, that's a rare commodity, man, these days, isn't it? Um, so, anyways, I always think it's an interesting story. I try to put myself in, those, in Jephthah's boots and I go, man, or sandals, because, man, I, don't, I couldn't do that, you know, but he did. So then we get to another point here, verse 29, and he says, No person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. What is he talking about? The ban. This is someone who was under the sentence of death. Maybe they were a murderer. They had committed premeditated murder or something. Something that was so, uh, it was a capital offense, whatever it was that they had committed. They could not be redeemed because they were under the sentence of death. And you think about that. That's under the old covenant, right? You and I are blessed to live under the new covenant because, because, because of sin, we were under the sentence of death. 
And yet Jesus Christ, because of his great love, redeemed you and I. He took our death sentence upon himself so that we could have eternal life. I mean, there's no greater love than that, is there? Amazing. Thank the Lord for Calvary. And I'm not talking Calvary Chapel, although you can thank the Lord for that too. Thank the Lord for the cross and what he did at Calvary. Well, moving on here, verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. Verse 30 is kind of interesting, talking about tithing the seeds. When you get to the New Testament, and the Pharisees, you know what a Pharisee was? They, they, were, they were Jewish religious people, but they were professional law keepers. That's basically what they were. They kept the law to the nth degree. And uh, so they were very studious. Uh, I think that's the right term. They were very particular, and they would count out their little, you know, anise seeds, or, and those are very small. You know, count out their little seeds or their little, their little herbs and stuff, and they go, okay, uh, nine for me, one for God. You know, they, so they, they would basically count out their, 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 I mean, they're following the scripture right here. They're doing what is said here. But Jesus speaks to them. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, you should have followed through with your tithes like you're doing, but you left out everything else. He says, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You see, they were so focused on the legality of the law while they were neglecting the spirit of the law. And man, I tell you, that's an, it can happen easily. We can get so caught up into, into the legalities of the law and we neglect the spirit of the law. What's the spirit of the law? This is the spirit of the law. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's, that's the spirit of the Ten Commandments. You could quote the Ten Commandments and, you know, I, I, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and I'll be honest with you, you're a liar if you say you commit, all, if you can do all the Ten Commandments, because nobody can. But, you know, I'm doing this or doing that. Listen, the spirit behind all that is love. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to want to steal from them. If I love my, my neighbor, I'm not going to want to, uh, you know, commit adultery with his wife. Uh, if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to hate him, which Jesus says, if you hate someone, it's, it's equivalent to murder because you're murdering them in your heart. So, you know, love, man, it fulfills the law. And so you look at the law, we look at all these laws in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ fulfilled it by his love, by dying on the cross for us. Isn't that amazing? So, the tithe. What's the tithe? The tithe is literally the tenth part. Like the firstborn, it already belongs to the Lord. So, in other words, you know, you go, oh man, I'm going to really bless the Lord with my tithe this week. You know what? Yeah, yeah, God's happy that you're doing it and stuff, but you know what? It's not anything special because in, in all actuality, it's the Lord's anyways. Um, 
you're, you're not doing anything special by giving him what's already his. And uh, the tithe. You know, it's first mentioned in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20. That's when Abraham meets Melchizedek. He's coming back from a battle. He meets, meets this mysterious king of Salem, which I think is actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. We can get into that, but we won't. But anyways, and, and Abraham gives a tenth which is the tithe, gives a tenth to, in worship to Melchizedek. A little bit later on in Genesis chapter 28, this might sound kind of familiar with reading this chapter, but in Genesis chapter 28 verse 12, uh, Jacob says this, if, there's that if question again, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, both of those examples, the law had not been given yet. The law comes later when Moses, many, many years later. So, so the giving of his tithes, it originated even before God said, hey, you're going to give a tenth, you know, the, 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 the law of the tithe. Um, for, for both Abraham and Jacob, it was both voluntary, the tithes then. So, you know, I've come across people that say, well, you know, that the, the tithe, that's just an old covenant thing. We're under the new covenant. You know, the tithe doesn't apply uh, to New Testament Christians. Listen, if you read Paul's argument about faith, being justified by faith, he uses the example of Abraham. He says, was Abraham justified by faith before the law was written or after the law was written? And the, and the reality is, when God said, hey, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, Abraham believed God and was reckoned him as righteousness. And that was way before the law ever came. And so Paul's argument is, hey, uh, hey, there we go again, dude. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> how would you say dude in Jewish? I don't know. I should ask my friend Andrew. You could probably tell me. Um, Paul is basically saying Abraham's faith, faith is not based on the law. It, it precedes the law. Well, in the same way, the, the concept of the tithe, I believe, it precedes the giving of the law. So it's not based on the law. So Old Covenant, New Covenant, I, I don't think it applies. I, don't think, I think it's irrelevant in, in my opinion, personal opinion. Well, verse 32, he says, and according to the, and according, oh, excuse me, and concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. So what's that? Well, that's basically passing under the rod. They're not doing limbo dancing with his lambs. Basically what it is, is the, the, uh, the he would count his sheep or his lambs or whatever, the animals, they would come underneath his rod and he would count nine and then the tenth one, that would be the Lord's. And so that was just a way of counting the tithe. And here this time, all the time you thought counting sheep was having them jump over a pillow? No, they're passing under a rod. So you have trouble sleeping next time, think of a rod, hold it out, and count the sheep that go underneath it. I'm being facetious, obviously. Hey, verse 34. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. We have just finished the book of Leviticus, uh, 27 chapters. You know, some people kind of, uh, I don't know who, but some pastors I think avoid maybe teaching out of Leviticus because it's like, I don't know, maybe we go through all those rules and stuff. If you've been part of our fellowship and you've been going through this chapter, or if you even, maybe you're just joining us new for the first time, you can go back and listen to them. There is so much in here that we can apply to our own lives today. 
And uh, I think chapter 27, there's no different as well. Um, this is an interesting way to end the book of Leviticus, right? We've talked about the laws, about sacrifices, the laws about Sabbath, dietary laws, you know, don't eat a bat. Hey, I, that's a law I have no problem keeping. I'll, I won't eat a bat. Um, Leviticus, all those different laws, it ends with this chapter on making voluntary vows to the Lord and how you should follow through with your commitments. It's in making a vow to the Lord, whether it's out of distress or out of um, thankfulness or maybe just really feeling called to do something, that's really a tangible way that you can serve the Lord. God's not saying don't make vows, but he's saying if you make a vow, fulfill it and follow through with it. Um, but it's also, it is also a reminder not to make rash, you know, sometimes people can make some rash promises. I promise this or that. And uh, maybe we can get away with it with people, but God's like, you know what? I, I take your word seriously. In fact, I think there's a scripture that says, we're going to give an account for every rash thing that we've said one day. That's kind of scary. So, I don't know if anybody's going to, dedicate their house to the Lord today or, or call me up and say, hey, you know, I'm dedicating my son or my daughter or my, my servant. <laughs> um, but you know what? If you are, and here's where the application I think it boils down to. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, did you know that you've already made a vow to the Lord? You have. You know, we pray, we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, paid the penalty for us, um, and so when we pray, we ask, we, we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, right? Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I repent of my sins. Please come into my heart and be my Savior. And the Bible says when we pray that and we mean it, God enters in. He, he, we're born again. But the next step of that is, and usually if someone's leading you in prayer, they'll say this, you know, Lord, I want to make you the Lord of my life. Because, you know, it's one thing, to, it's great to be saved, but we also need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives. Romans 12, verse 1 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, you're not like doing something really, really special. It's your reasonable service. God saved you. Why wouldn't you want to give your life to Jesus and make him the Lord of your life? So we, all of us, if you're a born-again believer, all of us have made that commitment. We've made that vow. But now we have to fulfill that vow. And I don't know about you, but I've failed. I haven't fulfilled that vow to the T. There are times when I've wanted to be the Lord of my life, where I've wanted to make a decision. I didn't, you know, yeah, I know what the right thing to do, but you know what? I want to do what I want to do. That's rebellion, of course. It's sin. We've all done that. I've done that. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, how can I possibly fulfill that commitment that I made to the Lord, that vow that I was making him the Lord of my life? How can I do it? I've got good news for everybody. Good news for you. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's, the, and that, that's why the Holy Spirit was given to you and I. Paul says this, Galatians 5, verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What do you want to fulfill? Your commitment to making the Lord the Lord of your life? Or do you want to fulfill the flesh, the lust of the flesh? 
I know as believers, Paul even talks about that in Romans, our spirits, we want to fulfill our commitment to making Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives. But our flesh, man, we're always struggling about it. So how do we do that? God's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit for you and I. That's how we not fulfill the laws, the lust of the flesh. So if you're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, you're fulfilling the law of the Spirit. And so the only way for you and I to fulfill that vow, and we have, all of us have made that vow, is to just surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit. You know, get up every morning and every day, man, get in prayer before the Lord. First thing you get up and say, Lord, this day, because you don't want to pray for next week. Well, you can, but I mean, this day. You know, the, uh, if you're part of Alcoholics Anonymous, what is it, one day at a time, you know, and that's that concept. You know, just got to deal with today and then move on. It's, that's true for the Christian life, too. Lord, this day, I want to surrender my life to you. Lord, help me to not walk according to my flesh. Lord, that flesh is so, it's so strong. But Lord, today, I just beam up the Lord of my life today, Lord. You know, we pray that every, every morning. And I encourage you to do that. Help me to live a day today fully surrendered to you. Uh, and, and, you know, to be honest with you, that's the only way. That's the only way that we can commit, fulfill that commitment to the Lord is by the Holy Spirit. I don't have the power to do it on my, own, on my own strength, and neither do you. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to pray for us. We're, we're done with our chapter here, done with the book of Leviticus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for each and every person that's listening to this broadcast. Lord, I pray that they're encouraged. I pray, Lord, that, uh, Lord, your spirit has spoken to their hearts. And, Lord, for every born-again believer that, Lord, we have made that commitment, we've said, Lord, be, be the Lord of our lives. We surrender our lives to you. Lord, I pray for each and every person that has made that vow at one point or another in their lives. They've dedicated themselves to you, Lord God. That, Lord, that even now you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that even today... Maybe we didn't do it this morning, but from, from this point on, we would, we would get down on our knees or maybe wherever we're at and just say, Lord, today I surrender my heart to you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, take full control over my life. I surrender it to you. Lord, I thank you that you've given us the ability to do that. that that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for that gift that enables us to live that life that's pleasing to you. And so I pray for every person listening. Lord, I pray for those that, are, that don't have a relationship with you, Lord. Um, they don't know that they're saved or not. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that they would recognize that, Lord, you, you love them so much that you died on the cross for their sins. Lord, you paid the price, the penalty. Lord, we were all under a death sentence because of sin. The wages of sin are death. And yet, Lord God, you died on the cross. You took our sin upon yourself. You took our death penalty, our execution that should have been us, and you were crucified for us. And I thank you that you rose again and that, Lord, now if we put our trust in you, you come into our lives. You come into our hearts to be our Lord and our Savior and that we're born again. The past is gone. We can be a new creation in Christ Jesus even this morning. So, Lord, I pray if anybody does not have that personal relationship with you, that, Lord, even right now they would cry out to you. They would believe that you died on the cross. They would repent of their sins and invite you into their hearts to be their Lord and Savior. And so I thank you this morning, Lord. What a blessing to be able to share your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Hey, um, in 